I, uh, I've had a few bad days in my life. I don't know if you have. I'm guessing you have. Um, when I was 16, I had an especially bad day. Because when I was 16 years old, I borrowed my friend's car, and I had had my license for about a month. And so I was a really good driver. And I borrowed her car. Her name was Carrie, and she let me borrow her new Toyota Corolla, not just new to her. So I had some things to do, and she was going on vacation. She was like, yeah, sure, you can drive it while I'm gone. So had my license for a month. I got in her car. I was dri- driving and left my house. I was pulling out onto this four-lane road. There's two lanes this way, two lanes this way. And there was a pizza truck that was coming it's t- towards me this way in this first lane. And it was turning where I was, and so I thought, well, I could turn left out and go around. So as I pulled out to turn left, there was a car behind that pizza truck. That that car whipped out around that pizza truck, and I didn't see her, and she just T-boned me. Boom! She just slammed into me. So we end up like like far from where we started, and we end up, she's like sitting right here. We're like sitting right by each other now. We're like, hey. And she's kind of in shock, as am I. And so I'm 16 years old. I get out of my car, and I I walk around. My legs are shaking. I'm like, oh, ma'am, ma'am, I'm so sorry. Are you okay? Are you okay? And she looks at me with tears in her eyes, and she says, why did you do that? And I'm like, I don't know, because I'm an idiot. And so, so the, the ambulance came and picked her up and put her on a stretcher and put a thing on her neck, and they carted her away, and I was like, she's dead. I killed her. She's dead. This is it. Good, good job, Brent. And um, she was released that day, and it was fine. But it was, it was a horrible day. And you know what I realized? That cars bring us bad days. Have you noticed it? Like I, I've decided to just run my cars into the ground. We paid them off. It's a wonderful feeling. And so we're just running them into the ground. So when you see me on the side of the road, please stop. Because that is going to happen. But, but cars bring bad days. It's like these people, these are actual statements from insurance forms that people filled out when they had an accident. And they're trying to use the fewest words possible. And they say things like this. Coming home, I drove into the wrong house and collided with a tree I don't have. Obviously, it's not my responsibility, it's that tree. Or how about this? I thought my window was down, but I found out it was up when I put my head through it. With that sentence, I'm guessing that's not the first time he's done that. A truck backed through my windshield into my wife's face. Okay, shouldn't have read that one. Fine. Um, a pedestrian hit me and went under my car. Now, that dude was from Austin. I guarantee it. I guarantee you he was from Austin because that's what happens. And obviously, it's not my fault. It's his. How about this? Uh, I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and headed over the embankment. (laughs) Not everybody understood that, but some of you sure did. Or this, oh, I shouldn't read this one. Too late. I was on my way to the doctor with rear-end trouble, and my universal joint gave way, causing me to have an accident. Some of you still didn't get that, but it'll hit you later, and you'll say, that was inappropriate. Um, we're in a series of messages that we called, I Will Survive, and we're talking about this. What do you do when you got a bad day? Because bad days happen to everybody. Some recent studies say that probably the, the average American worker will have about two months a year uh, of bad days. So it's about 60 days. Now, some of you are like, uh-uh, no way, I have way more than that. And what do we do? Because we're going to have them, so how do we respond to them? Now, what we've been doing is we've been going into the scriptures and looking at Jesus' last day to see what he did. Sorry, Jesus, some of Jesus' worst days, the last week of his life. We're looking at that week and going, what did Jesus do as he was facing up to the worst day of his life when he gave his life on the cross? Obviously, it's a beautiful thing, but that's not a fun experience to go through. And so we're trying to learn from him. So in Hebrews 12, 2, here's what it says in the message version. Keep your eyes on Jesus. 
who both began and finished this race we're in. That's what he did. He did the same thing that you're doing. He began it. He finished it. He lived the life that we live. And then he says, study how he did it. Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God, he could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside of God. Now, it's interesting to me because when you look at the last week of Jesus on the earth, you see it's full of choices. Jesus had choices about what he was going to do. The disciples, they have choices to make about what they're going to do as everything kind of goes south for them and Jesus is arrested. The governing officials, they have to decide what they're going to do with this man, Jesus. Right? The crowds have to decide what they're going to do when given a choice with Jesus. Everybody is making choices. And so Jesus, he chooses to be in the upper room with his disciples on that final night. You know, we kind of know. We kind of know when people are kind of towards the end of their life and they know it, they want to be with their loved ones. And so here he is in the upper room, but he does something so unexpected and so profound, and it's become a lasting illustration of who Jesus is and who Jesus wants for you and I to be. And it's unexpected because Jesus is fully aware of what's about to happen to him. Right? He knows that Judas is going to betray him. He knows that Peter is going to stand up for him, and then he's going to deny him. He knows he's going to be arrested and led to his death. He knows what's in the heart of these disciples that he's been hanging out with. And probably by now, the things have changed for them a little bit. You can kind of see it, right? They've been together a long time. Egos have kind of grown. They're all kind of jockeying for position about who can be closest to Jesus. They all kind of want to bump that John the Beloved off, you know? Peter's like, I think Peter the Beloved, that's got a nice ring to it. I think we should write that down. Peter the Beloved. They're all wanting that special space. And you know, they, I'm sure they love each other, but they probably don't like each other very much because they've been through a lot of life together. Now, now, you probably know exactly what this is like. If you've been married for any length of time, you understand this. Because when you started dating, it was the greatest thing ever. And you said to her, oh baby, I love you so much. And everything that you do is perfect and wonderful and so adorable and cute. Like when you eat corn at the restaurant and you just, it's like a little squirrel. It's adorable. I just love you. I love that. I'm always going to love that. Five years later. Do you still love that? <laughs> Would you please stop flapping your gums and be quiet? Some of you need a little counseling if that's how you're actually responding, but we can take care of that. You know it with your kids too, right? Because you, you go on vacation with your kids. You've been working hard. You're like, I, I can't wait to get away with the kids, man. I can't wait to go camping with the kids and just hang out some quality time. But then after about 20 minutes on the van ride there, you're like, would you shut up back there? And you swing in your arm. Did your dad ever do that? Like just swing the arm back. He don't care who he hits or what he smacks. He's just going to get something. Quiet down. That's what we did. Oh, oh. Like that's how we grew up. You've experienced this. And Jesus knows with these guys, he knows they're the plan. They're my chosen plan. These guys are the way that I'm going to launch the church. But if they don't get this idea right here, it's never going to work. Here's what he says. John 13, 1, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power. Everybody say, all things. All things under his power, and that he had come from God, and he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. 
And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, some of you just started freaking out because you're thinking, oh my gosh, are we doing a foot washing? Are we actually going to do a foot washing in here? We are. No, we're not. We're not do that. Imagine it. Could you just imagine? Have you ever been to a foot washing service? Ever done it? It's actually pretty profound and powerful, but it's disgusting. Like, just look at your neighbor right now. Look at your neighbor's feet right now. Look at their feet. Imagine if they were taking their shoes off and you were washing those feet. Think about it. What does that do to your insides? It makes mine squirm. I'm thinking, no, I want no part of that right there. And this is what's happening. Jesus, it's amazing in this passage, Jesus knew he had all the power, all the authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus knew that he had it. He knew that he came from God, meaning he was God himself. He knew he was going back to God, meaning he was one of the Trinity, part of the Son. He was with God. He was God. He was going back to God. He knew all of these things. And the scripture says, he knew all that, so he got up and washed his disciples' feet. This this so is so important and impacting. It's the pivot point of this whole thing. He's got all the power and authority that exists ever. He's got the greatest title that ever was or ever will be. And he lays down that title and he chooses to pick up a towel. He lays down that amazing title and picks up a towel to wash the stanky feet of some nasty disciples. The point here isn't to say, despite the fact that he was God, he lowered himself and he washed their feet. The point of this passage, that's so, it's saying precisely because he was God, he washed their feet. Because when Jesus comes in the form of the servant, he's showing us exactly who God is and what he wants to do in your life. He's revealing God to us. This foot washing and the crucifixion that was to come the next day was Jesus' way of showing us who God is. And he even washes the feet of the one who will betray him and the one who will deny him. It's pretty incredible. It continues on, John 13. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you're going to understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Good old Peter. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And then Simon said, Simon Peter replied, no, not just my feet then, Lord, but my hands and my head as well. Like, get all of me. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you're clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. So he gets to Simon Peter, and he's like, hey, I'm going to wash your feet. And Peter's like, no, no, I don't want you to do that. Now, if you read commentaries, you actually find out that Peter had a massive bunion on his pinky toe. That's not true. I'm lying. This... Peter freaked out because he, he knew that this role, it was reserved for the servant. That was who was supposed to do the lowest servant in the house did this job. Why? Because feet are nasty, everybody. They're nasty. I don't care. You're like, oh, I got soft. You No, you don't. They're nasty. Feet are gross. And their feet were especially gross. Why? Because they had sandals on. They're walking around in the heat, like crazy, oppressive heat, just like Austin has been over the past several weeks. They're walking around in that with sandals, in the dust, in the dirt, in the muck and the mire. You can imagine all the dirt getting crusty inside, in between their toes, and building up over time. We're talking fungus. We're talking athlete's foot. We're talking nasty, nasty stuff. Ew. So Peter's like, I don't, I don't, I don't, you shouldn't do, you're not supposed to do this. And when you wash somebody's feet, if you've never done it, and you're washing their feet, and you're washing in between their toes, 
Like it's just a, it is a crazy experience, and, it, and it's an intimate experience, isn't it? It's, kind of, it's a little embarrassing. It's a little like, oh, you're too close. Get out of there. Like it's, it's this strange phenomenon that's happening. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to do this. And Peter's like, oh, I don't, oh, no, 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 no. But Jesus says, hey, unless I wash, you have no part with me. So Peter, he's like, yeah, sign me up for that. Here, let me spread them wide. Get in there, Jesus. Like he's like, get, give me all of it, my head, my hands, everything. I want all of it. And I love that Peter says that. Because when you hear it, you kind of go, oh, good for Peter. He's going all in with Jesus. But in reality, it's Jesus who is going all in with Peter. It's Jesus who is giving up everything, taking the role of a servant, and washing these people's stanky feet. And he's not just giving a theological idea for us. He's giving us a practical, a tangible, a memorable thing that we can do. An amazing picture that we're supposed to follow. This is simply how Jesus wants us to live, everybody. Isn't that good news? He wants us to live this way. It's a valuable principle for your entire life. I want you to grab a hold of it. But I want you to know it's also an amazingly powerful thing for your life when you're having a bad day. Jesus is about to have a bad day, and he's washing the disciples' feet. So how do I survive a bad day? I'm going to make the decision to serve somebody else. You want to get out of your bad day? You make a decision to serve somebody else. Keep going, John 13, 12. When he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. There it is. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus is leaving for all of us today, here, an example. It was for them, it was for us, not a foot-washing service. Those, are, those have a, a place, and they're, they're powerful, and they're pretty incredible. It's an act of humility. But he's not leaving us a foot-washing service. He's saying, I want you to have a foot-washing heart. I want you to have a foot-washing spirit. I want you to be ready and willing all the time to wash the feet of the people are, that are around you. And it's not enough for you to think about it or know about it and say, oh, that'd be a good idea. This is something he's saying that you need to do. Jesus is requiring action. Living with a foot-washing heart and spirit. And this is amazing to me because this is Jesus last night on the earth. Like, think about it. This is his final message to everybody. This is the last topic of discussion. This is it. This is what he's leaving them with. This is the final visual that they will have. This is the thing that they're going to remember. Serve one another. This must be hugely important. On the very last night of Jesus' life, he's about to face his very worst day. He's saying, hey, guys, hey, guys, hey, stop being so impressed with yourselves. Stop trying to control everything. In your life. Stop, you know what? Stop being so selfish. Stop feeling so sorry for yourself. Start looking, stop, stop looking so far inward. Hey, Pete, Peter, get off Instagram. Right? Stop looking at only at you. Lift your eyes up and remember to serve one another. It's not the first time either, because just weeks before in Matthew 20, verse 26, it said, Jesus says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So now before his worst day, Jesus, he picks up the towel and he serves his disciples. He picks up the basin and he's ready to serve. He, he, he bows down before his disciples and he washes their nasty feet. He chooses this basin of service. 
like the humble nature of a servant, down at somebody's feet, cleaning something that nobody wants to touch. He does that work. He does it for you, and he wants you to do the same thing. He chooses this basin of service. Now, as to me, there's like these five movements that Jesus does that I think we need to pay attention to if we're going to live this kind of a life and make it through a bad day. The first one, I think Jesus just got up from supper. Is that he got up from the supper, right? Jesus was willing to be interrupted in what he was doing. Now, he could have easily said, hey, you guys, I'm about to give my life for you all tomorrow, so I'm just going to kind of chill out. I'm going to relax. i got to rest up a little bit. Tomorrow's going to be a rough day. you got no idea. So you guys make the meal. You guys take care of stuff. You guys make everything happen. I'll just be over here. If you need me, don't bother me. Like, he could have said any of that stuff, and he didn't. Instead, he interrupted the meal. He got up from the meal, and he washed their feet. He was open to the interruptions, but we, we don't like interruptions. We don't like to get up from supper. Yo, I'm eating. Don't bother me. Don't mess with me. I'm just doing my thing. We like to schedule ourselves. We like to have everything figured out. We've got, we manage our time. We take classes. We take courses. We put all of our dates in our phone. Some of you write on paper what you're going to do. It's crazy to me. Like we, we plan and plan and plan and schedule. I got to get this kid to this practice and this kid to this choir thing. And I got to be here at work thing. And I got to do this and I can do that. And we schedule our whole day packed full. And we schedule so much that we just schedule God right out of it. There's no more room. There's no way to pay any attention to what he might do. There's no gaps. I know you're busy. I know you have a life. I know you have things to do. So do I. But in my life, I want there to be places where I can be interrupted. Where, imagine, a coworker walks by, and you're working on that project, and I got a deadline, and I got to hit it pretty soon. But that coworker walks by, and you can tell there's tears in her eyes, and you got a choice. Am I willing to take the interruption, or am I just going to get stuff done? Jesus was willing to be interrupted. Interruptions provide possibilities. They provide possibilities for divine encounters and connections. And that's what I'm looking for. Are you willing to be interrupted to look for those opportunities in divine encounters and let God use you? The second thing Jesus did was he laid aside his garment. We don't know exactly what he was wearing. I'm sure it was probably the classic look. It was the white robe and blue sash, long flowing brown hair, blue eyes. He was white like me, obviously. No, not at all. <laughs> no, we have a very weird picture from the way that we grew up, and it's not what Jesus really looks like. We don't know what he was wearing. We don't know, you know, most rabbis could be identified by, by what the clothes they were wearing. Regardless of what he had on, he took it off. He laid aside his garment. He laid aside his title. He laid aside what he had, and he picked up this thing right here. He laid aside the rabbi uh, title. He laid aside the teacher title. He laid aside even the Lord. He put it all down and he said, I'm going to pick this up and I'm going to wash your feet. It's interesting to me. On that night, when the disciples walked in the room, don't you think they walked in and they saw the basin? Oh. Don't you think Peter walked by and said, hmm. Don't you think John probably walked by and was like, oh, yeah. Don't you think probably one disciple at least went by and said, oh, yeah, no, I'm a disciple. Somebody else would do that. Don't you think? Not willing to lay down their title. Hey, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> I, I got a title. I'm pretty important. What titles do you have? What titles do I have that we might need to lay down 
Stop worrying so much about so that we can pick up the basin, so we can pick up the towel and do what Jesus has called us to do. Not be too important for any task. If the basin is beneath you, you're never gonna receive God's blessing. What titles do you have you might need to get rid of? And then he picked up the towel. I love this. The one who held the greatest title in the universe, he picks up the towel and he's saying, hey you guys, I just, in case you were wondering, I ain't giving out titles, I'm giving out towels. So you're part of the show, man, uh, sorry, you're not getting any title. I would prefer that you just kind of go low, serve everybody, be nameless, be faceless, and you pick up one of these and you get work done like me. That's what he was doing. He wasn't passing out titles, Jesus is passing out towels, and he's saying to you today, actually, do you want one? You want one? The fourth thing that Jesus did is he stooped down. Ah, it's so important. He stooped down. Jesus Christ, the Lord of all, the creator of the universe, the God of everything here on the earth, he stoops down to their level. He could have said, hey, you guys, do better. Hey, get up here. Hey, why don't you get your life all figured out? And once you do, then maybe you can come and be a part of what I'm doing. It wasn't what he said. He said, hey, I'm going to come down to your level. You haven't got it all figured out yet? I know. Your feet are nasty and gross? I know. Your life is kind of a wreck? I know. That's why I'm coming down to you to be on your level, and I'm going to serve you, and in so doing, I'm going to lift you up. And then you can learn to do what I'm doing. He's not looking for you to be perfect. He's not looking for you to have everything figured out. He's simply looking for you to be willing and obedient. The fifth thing that Jesus did is he leaned into them. He didn't just sit back and say, eh, you, guys, you guys take care of this. Jesus got involved. He involved himself in their lives. He leaned into them, and he got his hands dirty, really dirty, actually, because Peter's disgusting. He really leaned in, and he got involved in their lives. Everybody, I want to be a part of a church that's willing to get our hands dirty, that's willing to be in the mess of each other's lives, that's willing, because you, I, just, I don't know if you know this, but there are people in this room today that their lives are a mess. It's true. And we all go through phases. Today I'm doing okay, but who knows about tomorrow? And you know, I, I go through all my messes, you go through all your messes, and we need each other. It was God's plan that we would have each other to get our hands dirty in the lives of one another. I wanna get our hands dirty in this city. I wanna get our hands dirty in serving the needy people of this city. I wanna be that kind of a church. Jesus chose the towel. He chose this basin of service before his worst day. He chose it. This is what he was looking for before he gave his life. His final day, the worst day ever, he's got the towel, he's got the basin of service. It's amazing to me. And today he's saying to you, all right, you want to be a part of it? Are you willing? Because you have a choice today. You can pick this up. You can have a foot washing heart like I did. You can do this and I'll empower you and I'll help you and I'll fill you. You can do this or you can choose not to, frankly. Some of us say, man, I'm too, I'm, I'm, you don't understand, I'm slammed, I'm too busy. I can't, I can't pay attention to this kind of stuff. I can't look for that, I can't be interrupted right now. Really? Man, you don't understand, I, I, I'm just, I don't have much talent, you know, I don't, I don't do anything that's any good. I'm not, I'm not really any good to anybody. Really? Created by God and his image, exactly how he wanted you, and you're not good enough? It's not true. Some of us just say, man, I don't, I don't want to. Okay, I understand that. And it's okay. I'm glad you're here. You got time. But man, I hope you start to figure this out. This is the reason that we're here. Called us to do this. And some of you are just saying, 
you know what, man, my life is just too overwhelming. I'm just, I'm, you said bad day, I'm having a bad decade. My life is too overwhelming. I don't got time for this kind of stuff. I would argue and say, you don't not have time <laughs> for this kind of stuff. You gotta make time for this because this is actually the answer that you've been looking for. Jackie Pullinger, incredible missionary to Hong Kong. She spent over half a century with prostitutes and drug addicts and did some amazing work in Hong Kong. She said this, God wants us to have hearts, sorry, <clears throat> God wants us to have soft hearts and hard feet. The trouble with so many of us is that we have hard hearts and soft feet. Our hearts have become hard through the years of being a little too selfish. Our feet are a little too dainty to be able to tread where they need to tread. And that trend needs to be reversed. Our hearts grow soft and pliable and our feet become hard to walk into the tough soil that Jesus has called us to. But what's so hard? It is, it's so hard. I'm not here saying it's easy, it's hard. So what are you supposed to do if you have a bad day? Let's finish this with just a few practical things. Look, I think if you're having a bad day and you wanna live this kind of life, you serve people, why? Because serving takes your focus off of all your problems. For some of you, that's all you can see. I've got a problem. It's huge, and it's, it's, I can't see beyond it. That's all I got. In my peripheral, every, everywhere I look, that's all there is. I got a problem. And when you stoop down to serve somebody else, you know what happens? Oh, I'm not just looking at the problem anymore. I'm looking at somebody else. Oh, still there. But I get a little perspective because I see something else. I see somebody else. It's not just about me. It's amazing to me that Jesus, on his final night, he is looking at everybody else. That would not have been me, folks. If I was about to die the next day, I would have done something much different, like run away. But Jesus, Jesus is thinking about everybody else. He's thinking about his disciples. He's thinking about Peter and how he's going to deny him. And he's concerned about that. He's talking to Pilate, and he's concerned for Pilate the next day when he's on trial. He's hanging on the cross, and he's concerned about the thief that's hanging next to him. He's hanging there, and he's looking down. He's looking down at his mom, and he's looking down at John, and he's telling them to take care of one another. He's thinking about everybody else. He didn't have his eyes solely fixed on him. He had his eyes on where they were supposed to be, on everybody else. You having the worst day ever? Get your eyes off of you. Look at somebody else. There's people out there that are suffering, and they need you. And when you do, it doesn't just give you perspective. It starts to make this thing dissolve. Oh, it's not that big a deal. I'm coming. This is cool because it seems like Jesus is just teaching his disciples to become servants by, by serving others. You serve other people, you become a servant. It's awesome. That's a good lesson. But there's something deeper happening here. Jesus is teaching them that we serve the Father when we serve other people. We serve God when we serve other people. If you try to serve based on somebody's coercion or out of some sense of obligation or some sense of duty, you will falter quickly. But if you realize in all of your service, it is God who I'm serving, that changes everything. Your motivation is different. The power of God is in you to serve those people. The secret to serving people well is knowing who you're really serving. Some of you have been serving on Team One for a long time and you're a little discouraged. Oh, I'm just so tired. Seven o'clock every Sunday morning, ugh, setting up church, ugh, kids with poopy diapers, ugh, mean people walking in, I'm trying to say hi, ugh. You're not mean to them, are you? You're fine, you're great. You've grown tired and weary, why? Because you lost sight somewhere. When you come here and serve, you're serving God by serving other people. And you should relish in that and bask in that and enjoy it. Even Jesus knew washing their feet 
that he was serving God by serving them. And that's how he could, he could wash the feet of the denier and the betrayer. It wasn't just them that he was serving. He was serving the Father by serving those two guys. You can do it too. Quickly, the second thing, I think serving is how we love the world. You think about that idea. We know we're called to love God and love other people, and so that's what we're going to do. But if you really start to break that down, what does that mean? Are you familiar with the five love languages? You know what those are? So there's five love languages, and you use them are great for your marriage. Maria is mostly acts of service, and, and that causes problems with us sometimes because I'm not that. So to love her like that is hard for me, so I have to really work at it. I'm words of affirmation, so I just needed her to tell me that I'm awesome all the time, and then I'm pretty happy. It's pathetic, but... But if you start to apply, we're supposed to love people. So let's take those love languages and see. If we apply them to the people of the world, what does that look like? Well, can you just go touch a stranger to love them? No, not a good idea. Don't do that. That's a bad idea. Get, what are you doing, right? That doesn't work. That doesn't work. Can you, like, I don't know, uh, can you spend quality time with a stranger? Not really. Hi. Right? It doesn't work. They're going to run away. You can't really do that. Can you, um, I don't know, can you give gifts to a stranger? You can, but certainly they're going to question your motives. Hey, what are you doing, man? Like, hey, I got you a car. Okay, that's awesome, but yikes. Like, it's weird to do that. Or words of affirmation. Like, you could stop at a stoplight and roll down your window and say, hey, you're beautiful. <laughs> Inside and out, I think you're truly wonderful. Like, I mean, they're going to freak out. They're going to peel out. They're going to drive away. You're going to have a cop behind you in a few minutes. Like, it's going to be a deal. What can you do then? You know what's left? Acts of service. Acts of service. When you serve other people, it's something you can tangibly do to people that you don't know, and they sense the love of God flowing to them. It's how we were created to love the world. We serve them. That's the point that Jesus is making. You serve them. It's how you show them love. You go low. You do gross things. You do whatever you can to help them and make their lives better. You simply serve people. Acts of service. Acts of service, the one way to show love to a world that is in desperate need. And you know what happens when you do it? They look at it and they go, oh, there's something in that. Oh, there's something powerful about that. Oh, something, I, I sense them, I see it. That's beautiful, that's lovely, that seems right and perfect and true. That's amazing what's happening there. It happened when we went, went to Camino Real Elementary and we watched the video of those teachers opening up those, those uh, Christmas cards and 150 bucks in, we just served them in a practical way. Hey, have a good Christmas with your family. And they cried and they reported to us later, man, it was just, it was amazing. They don't know Jesus, they don't follow Jesus, but man, I just felt something, I, was, I felt so loved. It, was, it made a difference. Acts of service. The third thing is, serving's great because it just makes us part of something bigger. Serving involves you in what God is doing in the earth. It makes you part of the church. It makes you part of God's plan in the earth. And that's a pretty great thing. I grew up in church all my life. We like to say, I was born on Saturday in church on Sunday. Like on the front row, on the, the front pew, I grew up there. I went to college, I graduated from there. I started working at a mega church right away. We grew a youth group there. We had like 1,400 kids in that youth group. It was insane. I had like 11 staff members that worked for me to help pastor all these kids and their families. Like just in the youth ministry, we had 11 staff members at this church. We could, you could go into a room, you go into the hospitality department if you wanted to do an event and you'd fill out some paperwork and say, hey, we'd like the room to look like this. And then you'd show up to the room on that night, and there'd be chairs light out and lights up and everything looking all perfect and beautiful. You'd say, ooh, thanks. Actually, you'd walk in and say, hey, why is that chair out of place? That's what you'd say. I kind of lost touch a little bit with what it means to serve, to get my hands dirty, to be a part, 
And then I planted a church. And I remembered really quick, <laughs> really, really quick. Because this morning, you know where I was? I was here at seven, schlepping cases with the band. I was here putting up some of those curtains. See those curtains back there? I did some of that. It looks good, don't it? I, I was here. I was here serving. Why was I doing that? Because I'm so awesome? No, not at all. Because I love the local church and I'm called to serve. And I find whatever I can do to take part and do it. I'm going to do everything I can to simply serve the Lord Jesus and his body. I'm just, I'm going to do it. And you can make the decision to do the exact same thing. Look, we see it every day. I see that love that we're talking about through acts of service. I see it. I see it every day because I walk in here and I see people pushing carts and setting up coffee. And I'm like, oh, you must really love us because you're making us the nectar of heaven and I appreciate you. But when you drink it, you can feel it. It's made with love because that sounds so funny. A little sprinkle of love. But, but they're, ma- they're making it with love. Why? Because they're serving. They're glad to serve. I walked in today and Dennis handed me, handed me a, a message notes and he smiled at me and we talked a little bit and I felt the love of God coming through him. Why? Because he knows why he's here. He's here to serve. In those classrooms, they're changing your kids' poopy diapers. Why? So you can sit here and not be disturbed and not have to do it and it's awesome. And it's a hard work back there, but they love doing it and you can feel the love of God towards you as they're doing it. It's an amazing thing that we get to do. We become a part of something bigger than us and you need that when you're having a bad day. And you realize, oh, my bad day is not that big a deal. This is the culture of our church, everybody. We serve. And you may or may not know this, but we actually want everybody to serve. <gasps> we want everybody. The plan here at One Chapel is, if you call yourself a One Chapel family member, we want you, as part of the vision of moving from where you are to where God wants you to be, we want you to be in a group so you can have community and be known and share your stuff and not wear masks. And we want you to serve on a team so that you can give out all the good things that God is giving you. It's part of the plan for you. It's part of what Jesus wanted for you that you would be able to serve. And you know what happens? That service, it leads to more stuff. Not just in the church, then it starts to branch out. Branches out into school, branches out into your work, branches out into ideas for service in our community. But it starts here. We want everybody to do it. We're having a team one meeting next Sunday. Jump on in at 5.30, it'd be awesome. Matthew 20, 26, let's end with this. We already read it once. In verse 28, just as the Son of Man, he didn't come to, to be served. Jesus didn't come to be served. Jesus didn't come to get. He didn't come to have a title. He didn't come to fill up on. He he just came to serve you. And if he did that, if he did that and gave his life, he's saying, that's what I want for you too. That's the example that he left. Why don't you guys come on up? I know it's a hard, it's kind of a hard idea. It's kind of a hard lesson. But this is actually, some of you, you're in the spot right now where you just need this. You didn't know this was the answer to what you needed, but it is, in fact, the answer to what you needed. You've had the worst day. You've only been able to look at your problems. You've been so frustrated and confused, and you have not been able to get out of it, and you've been praying, and you've been asking. And guess what? Jesus sent me as the answer to your prayer right now. Aren't you lucky? And what he says is, you just need to look for an opportunity to serve. To see that life is bigger than what you're going through. To take your eyes off of your problem. And when you do, I'm going to help you. To become a part of something bigger. To love the world that I put you in. That's what I've sent you here to do. Some of you just need to do that this week. You need to go into your workplace and you've had the worst time with your boss. And you need to go and you need to take the face of Jesus and just put it on your boss and go, I'm going to serve that man. I'm going to serve that woman. Well, Jesus' face on the woman, that's a little weird, but still. I'm going to serve that woman. I'm going to do it. 
I'm going to go low. I'm going to humble myself. It's going to be gross. There's going to be some toe jam. It's not going to be easy, but I'm going to do it. Some of you students, you need to go into school thinking that in just a couple weeks. When you step in and you're going to serve your teachers, you're going to put the face of Jesus on your teachers, put the face of Jesus on your friends, on your peers, and you're going to serve them. Some of you, you just need to take the first step today. In fact, there is a Team One card in your cup right now, and it is the thing that you should do. It's true. We need help. We have some people who, some teams that need people. Tech team needs some people. Kids team always needs to have some people. We have several teams around the church that they need more people. And I have no shame in asking you to do that. Why? Because one, it's the vision of one chapel. Two, I believe, I actually know that it's good for you. I know that God's going to provide for us and we're going to be fine. We're going to take care of people. We're going to do what God has called us to do. But you have the opportunity to be the one to answer it and receive so much for your service. It's pretty cool. So here's what we're going to do as we end. We're going to sing this song. We're going to sing. We're going to receive communion together in just a moment. We're going to sing this song about heaven coming to earth that we've already sung today. And we're going to believe that we're going to participate in that. We're going to believe that as we serve other people, heaven comes to earth and people's lives are transformed and changed. Our lives are transformed and changed. Today you're going to receive the bread and the cup, Jesus' body and his blood, body broken, bloodshed for forgiveness of sins. And it's the picture of what Jesus wanted you to remember. After this moment, after this story where he washes their feet, and he, he, they have, well, they're having dinner, and he leaves these two emblems, these two symbols, body, blood, bread, cup. He says, as you take them, I want you to remember how I'm serving you and giving my life for you. And let it fill you and let that service work in you, the power of the cross work in you. Let forgiveness flow, let healing and life flow, and then let that service pour back out of you. Would you do that today as we take communion? And the second thing that I want you to do, some of you, some of you, not everybody probably, but, but it'd be awesome. Some of you need to take the actual step and receive communion, receive the help that he's given, receive the service, but you need to sign up for a team. Make that a part of this experience. Take out the Team One card after you've received the cup, the bread. Fill it out and say, put me in, coach. I want to serve people. Let's get this going. I want this to be real. Think about those two things as you're receiving communion today. Father, we love you. We ask that you would do this miracle in us now as we worship and as we receive. In Jesus' name.